Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to Book 3 Fire, Chapter 9, Nightmares and Daydreams. Um, so we are basically almost at the midway point of uh, of Season 3. Um, let's be honest, this one's a little tough. Yeah, I've been kind of dreading this episode, Sam. I'm, I'm glad that I'm the one who's going to be going over the summary because I've watched the series before, so I feel like there's a... Like I, I believe in the redemption of the series. So if there's a bad episode, I'm like, I know it's going to get better. And I, I feel bad whenever you are stuck with an episode that I personally don't like. Uh, you're Where does this land for you in terms of like best worst? So, I mean, I think, I think the, the way to have this conversation is how does this exist relative to the great divide? Cause I, cause actually <laughs> other episodes that people don't like, um, I know I was talking with one of our listeners uh, and he did not like the, uh, the painted lady episode and, mm. and I can see that, but it's like, actually there's some things there that I think are, I think there's some interesting ideas there. I actually mm. liked avatar day quite a bit. I think there's, I think there's a lot of interesting things you can do with that episode. So I really think it comes down to the great divide in this. And I would say here is the difference. And, and, and we should say we are going to this. We come not to bury nightmares and daydreams, but to celebrate it. Um, but I, but we need to say up front kind of what some of the issues are. Like the great divide is a way more watchable episode. Agreed. It's not narratively that interesting. But what makes the great divide really dumb happens probably in the last four or five minutes of the episode. It's it it would just be kind of like a forgettable episode, but then it, the the big um, crimes of that episode are at the very end. Yes. This one is more top to bottom unwatchable. Like it's just like it's there's very little fun about it. And one of the things that it does, and this make this makes it tough too, is that it um, it takes an element of the chase episode. Uh, yeah. In the chase, remember they're like they can't, none of them can sleep because they keep being chased and you get that kind of weariness that they have. And it's like, that's tough to watch, but it's, it serves the story and it's really well done there. This, we get Aang in a version of that again, but it's only him. And it's just, it's just kind of tough to watch. Yes. Um, now I will say that. So, so I would say to me, this is, this is probably my least favorite, probably definitely my least favorite episode um, because it's uh, it serves some plot point purposes, and we'll we'll get into that. And some of them are actually fairly interesting, but it's just it's not that fun of an episode to actually sit and watch. Um, Ang is pr- a pretty tough hang, and usually he's not. Um, and it's a pretty Ang centric episode. You know, it's yeah. it's his because it's Ang in his dreams and in his own head a little bit more. So, um, and then it just gets it just gets weird as it, as we sort of enter the sort of the dream logic and the hallucinatory logic of not sleeping. Um, mm-hmm. It gets a little s- weird and not always in the most fun ways. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the bottom episode for me, but mm-hmm. you know, that being said, it's, it's also the, what the 49th episode of the show. So if this were episode one, I probably don't continue but at episode 49, it's like, yep, that's, that happened. And we'll move on from, uh, we'll move on from here. Yeah. I mean, what you expressed is it seems to be kind of how the fan base looks at this episode too. I, in a lot of the lists, the great divide will be at the bottom. 
Um, but I agree with you and it seems like a lot of viewers also do. And my, you know, my Reddit research, which is, um, definitely real professional research, <laughs> scrolling through the Reddit forums, but it seems like a lot of people say the great divide had been the worst up till now, but structurally like the bones of the great divide is actually not that bad. Like it, it could have been a decent episode. It's just like you said, the ending should have changed. It should have been different. Here we have a whole episode where kind of everyone's unlikable. And really, it seems like the only the only part that's salvageable from this episode is the B plot with Zuko. Like if they didn't have that, and it is a very small B plot, like mm -hmm. minimal numbers of minutes spent with Zuko. But if they didn't have that, I just, I don't know what they would have done with this episode. I just think yep. it would have, I don't think it should have existed. Okay. I, I would put it this way. And, it, and this sort of, I think bridges the gap between what we've been talking about. I mm. think this is a less watchable episode than the great divide. The great divide commits a bigger crime. Yes. Because this actually doesn't ruin any of our characters. The great divide. It sort of leaves you like, I actually, the resolution of that, I was like, I don't like that Aang did mm. that. This, there's nothing. I mean, you're dealing with someone's anxiety. And so that creates this sort of hard to watch thing. But yep. um, but it doesn't commit a crime in the same way. Right, right. I think I was harsh when I said they're unlikable in this episode. It's, it's actually more that in The Great Divide, Aang becomes very unlikable at the end. It, mm -hmm. He becomes not himself. Where in this episode, it's like, it's not unlikable. It's just immature. I guess mm -hmm. it's just the humor is not, it doesn't hit with me at all. And it kind of seems like this filler episode that, and we'll talk about, I actually think it's necessary that they had a tone shift like this, mm -hmm. but uh, I just wish they would have done it differently. Yeah. And, and, and we, we should also, there's another name we should mention here. This is also a John O'Brien episode. I'm, I'm on board for John O'Brien um, he also wrote the great divide. So like those are pretty rough. I, I actually would love to talk to him um, and just, I'd love to know like what he thought about these episodes. Like, mm. does he feel like, Oh, actually like, like would he argue we're missing something here? Um, right. Or would he be like, yeah, those are probably not my best, but I think he does do other things that are, that are great. And I, I'm here for his sense of humor. What's, what's weird is I feel like his sense of humor is not, this is not the best representation of his sense of humor either because oh. the attempts it makes to be funny aren't, they're just not as funny as he is. Yeah. His, yes. It's so funny the the drastic difference in his jokes, some of them do, do seem like jokes geared towards a child audience. And then some of them make me laugh out loud. They're so funny and like continue to watch those episodes and still laugh and forget how great humor um, this series has. Okay. Well, that actually raises a, a good question, which is, I wonder how the only child I've talked with who's watched this is not really a child. It's my daughter who's 14. So mm -hmm. like, I wonder like a seven or eight year old watching this, are mm -hmm. they like, Oh, thank goodness. It's fun. Again, the blood bending was a little, was a little rough from the yes. last episode. Like, he may have been assigned something like we need to like young this up a little bit. Mm. I don't know. That's yeah. That was one of the things that my husband, Mike and I were talking about 
where um, you and I, when we when we went over the Great Divide um, episode, you had this great idea of like, hey, let's actually just talk about what could have been better, right? And so Mike and it, I, yeah. right, Mike and I were like, okay, how do we fix this episode? And and my idea was, we'll toss it out, which is, which is maybe not fair, but instead have like a two part Bloodbender episode. Uh, I think that would be amazing. And he was like, yeah, that's great. If you're an adult, he was like, I don't think that would have pulled off as well for a child audience because that episode was very dark and they ended on a dark note. And it's it's like they needed to have a tone switch because now, as we know, there's only 10 episodes left of the series or 10 ish episodes after this one. And um, it's no surprise that things are going to ramp up and there's a lot more intensity and um and so they need this like last moment of kind of like a breath in before all of the rest of it. And uh, doing a two part bloodbending episode just feels a little bit intense. Feels pretty heavy. And so, so when we get to the end of this, I, I want us to pitch our ways to fix this because even as we're talking, I think I have a, I think I have a solid pitch here that will Ooh. make this better. That Sam might, I've... might even make this a great episode. I have so many ideas too. I'm really excited. Okay. Okay. We well, should, we should, should we get into jump summary? into the episode. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, <laughs> we begin at night in a field and there's a herd of koala sheep that are snoozing peacefully. And this field is on this wide open cliff overlooking the ocean. And to me, it reminded me of like West coast, Ireland cliffs of more kind of aesthetic, really beautiful, peaceful, quiet. Have you been to the cliffs of more? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Oh, really? So have I. I love the Cliffs of Moher. And I, I, when I, when I, in my notes, I just wrote nailed it. That's a perfect description. It actually reminds me a lot of that. Um, I am also here for the koala sheep. Like it's been a while since we've had like a good new hybrid animal. Yeah. And like, I would love to raise koala sheep. They're like a little yeah. bit smaller than sheep. They're you know you can pick them up. They're yeah. Yes. Also, koala and sheep are like both known to not be the most intelligent animals. So then combining them, they're just like kind of there, just snoozing or eating most of the time. And uh, it seems to add to the whole like peaceful atmosphere of this Cliffs of Moher kind of background. So I really liked it too. Love it. Um, and so Appa and the gang are, they emerge from a dense forest. They're all on foot. And Sokka says that this is the official rendezvous point for the invasion force, which Aang and the whole group kind of is skeptical about, right? Like, it seems like this lush, green, beautiful area. Why are we all meeting here for a rendezvous point? And so Sokka kind of defends this choice and says, before we split up, my dad and I found this island on a map. It's uninhabited and the harbor surrounded by cliffs seemed like the perfect secluded place, which I would agree with, right? Like it seems like we're not even in the fire nation. Like, I don't, I don't know where we would be, but it seems out of the world almost. And Katara says that they can now rest for the next four days before the invasion and at this, Aang begins to freak out. And he says, wait, it's just in four days? And he realizes, like, he's not ready yet to face the Fire Lord. Like, four days seems like way too soon. And I will say this is a great part of this episode because Aang's reaction here was my reaction. When I heard four days, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, like, how are we already there? Cause I thought that was supposed to be the end game of this, of this season. And now they're saying, 
yep, in, in four days, this thing is happening. So either they're going to slow this way down or, you know, we need to think differently about how this, how narratively this invasion, this day of the black sun fits into to everything else that's happening. So I love that we get the, the timeline here. And I will say if that alone mm. tells us the purpose of this episode, is there like, we are now, uh, I thought we were, this was going to be about we are now setting the pieces in place for what is going to be a set piece two part episode coming next. Mm. So our next our next epi- two episodes are a uh, one long two part episode. So I, I, I this landed really well for me. Absolutely, like this episode functions as a transition piece because we end with Katara screaming at this end of a horror movie and everything feels like a haunting and like there's so many questions and then to move from that straight to invasion would it make sense right so they needed to build in 20 minutes or so to say it's coming it's just not until the next episode so like at least functionally this episode is helpful and uh, then it it goes downhill quick so (laughs) Sokka um, yawns as he does, he's tired. He kind of shrugs off Aang freaking out and says, ah, four days. That's like four days from now. And Solid he falls, joke. Yeah. You know what? Sokka has some good jokes in this episode. Yeah. Um, so he lays down on his mat and he falls asleep abruptly, snoring loudly. And the rest of the crew quickly falls asleep. Uh, I noted that Sokka and Katara sleep on mats and Aang and Toph are on this lush grass. Makes sense for Toph to be on the grass, to be feeling the earth. Um, But Aang is as well. And we watch close up as Aang's eyes start to slowly close. He's able to get himself into sleep. And this begins one of the, the few scenes in this episode where Aang is in a dream. And we've seen him in dreams before. Uh, he's dreamt of, certainly had like flashback dreams to when he was flying on Appa during the storm. And then he preserves himself for a hundred years. He's had dreams of like, uh, I think even a giant Momo at one point, which comes back in this episode too. Uh, but the nature of these dreams are much quirkier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and meant to play on a lot of dreams we've all kind of had like those nightmares that are recurring yeah are, are you somebody who has anxiety dreams i mean did this episode speak to that sam i have anxiety dreams like every night and uh yes i as we go through i might man i might make this episode about me and talk a little <laughs> bit just just for a sentence or two because i have those recurring nightmares all the time do you uh i do i have some of these that he has but some i mean these are going to be the like most classic trope dreams you can imagine um some of them i have some i've never had and so some are like Mm. the most stereotypical you know first page of the wikipedia on human dreams that i haven't had okay i'm so so for example the first dream i i've never had that really i have yes okay i i definitely have so We um, cut to these large double doors uh, with the Fire Nation insignia. And uh, we hear the like Fire Nation kind of like tune. I don't really know what to call it. Anthem. Mm -hmm. And the doors fly open from a blast. And we see a silhouette standing in the doorway. And out comes Aang, who I described as being very Dragon Ball Z style, like Roku from Dragon Ball Z. So his hair is kind of (laughs) like... 
it's hard to describe, but like up in like the Roku style, um, kind of like everywhere. And he's wearing this like bright yellow ninja like outfit. And he flies onto this volcanic cliff and the whole room of this fire nation throne room is, is basically inside of a volcano. And he's surrounded by these floating columns. Everything is steeped in red light. Um, and I'm going to describe some of those elements of the dreams here. And I don't know if you, Sam, are a dream expert. I know it's, that I it's, certainly am not. It's funny you say that because I will say in my prep for this, I did some Google searching on interpretation of dreams. So I'm going to help you out here. Amazing. Is there anything about floating red columns? Uh, no, no. I, <laughs> and I will say... I want to reiterate, I did some Google searching on interpretations of dreams. So this is going to be some light, not even pop psychology, Google psychology. So Amazing. I mean, that's what our audience is coming here for. So right? why, don't you, why don't you go through the dream and then I'll tell you what I, what I discovered about that. Excellent. Okay, so um, uh, Dragon Ball Aang flies into the room and says, Your days of tyranny are over, Fire Lord. I'm bringing you down. And we see the Fire Lord, but it's the Aang dream version of the Fire Lord, which um, kind of reminded me of like Bowser from Nintendo. It's just this overly cartoonish, large character, not even really that human looking. Um, I, I wrote Tubsy. He's like <laughs> kind of a larger man. Uh, well, and I think I think we should say here, like the Great Divide, and I feel like there's another episode that I can't remember. We have um, different animation styles when we go into the dreams. Yes. Um, it reminds me of in the tunnel episode of season two when they are talking about the history of how the Earth Nation began. And there's like all these different styles, which I really enjoy. This mm -hmm. series kind of does that. Um, one of the ways you can watch this episode is to look through as a gamer and think of or a gamer or um, somebody who's into anime and think about kind of what different styles they're using. And those are that's not my strength. I don't really know much beyond Dragon Ball Z. So that's really the only reference I have. Well well and I actually think the I actually think the gamer way to think about this is right because there is a uh, iterative sort of ready player one style where it mm -hmm. this is this is Aang thinking about Ozai as an as Bowser as an end boss and we're going to see different attempts at him facing that yeah and like he knows that he hasn't collected everything he needs in order to fight this last final boss right um so we see the fire lord he's like eating grapes and his head is tilted back and just has this ridiculously long goatee so he's almost like funny looking right mm -hmm. and he says really how do you plan on doing that when you're not even wearing pants. And Dragon Ball Aang looks down at him and sees that he is not wearing any pants, freaks out, holds, you know, like something in front to, to cover himself. Um, and we see a bunch of large floating eyes appear kind of above him and gawk at him. Very dreamlike, right? Like disembodied eyes. And the Fire Lord uh, maniacally laughs. And then Aang jolts, jolts awake. All right. So... so so here's, again, here's for my Google interpretations of dreams. So um, when you see a giant in a dream, mm. um, now, again, these are going to be re really on the nose things. That <laughs> stands for a large obstacle that needs to be overcome in your life. So mm. Ozai is literally an obstacle that needs to be overcome, but he's giant size because Aang is, this is the source of his anxiety. Now, the, the not wearing pants dream, 
actually touches on something you mentioned before. That is uh, uh, meant to indicate uh, a feeling of being incomplete, that you're approaching this this obstacle incomplete. You're not ready. Um, and you know, if we think about Aang, how is he incomplete? Well, he doesn't even know how to firebend. He's not even a fully realized avatar, right? Yeah. So it's actually that's a very sensible dream for for him to have. Now, I look, also looked up eyes. Like, what does sort of images of eyes mean? Um, and one of the things I found was that that was um, the the eye is supposed to represent sort of a kind of an inner gaze, like looking mm -hmm. at yourself. Um, and and so so this image of eyes is about when you find yourself trusting in others rather than yourself. And what you need to start doing is trusting in yourself. Um, that yeah. that's, that's what those, now I will also say before we get uh, too deep into my interpretation things, <laughs> um, it also feels like all of these things can mean whatever you think they mean. Cause if you read these sites, it's like, yes, it means this, but it could also mean this, which is the opposite. So like, let's not put too much weight in this, but those things all sort of work for Ang a little bit here. Absolutely. I also, I love you wearing the dream psychologist hat. I love this. So yeah, uh, this is a dream I've had. I've had dreams where I am naked or not wearing pants. Um, I've had dreams where I'm walking in high school, uh, like well after I've graduated, but I'm like in high school again and pregnant and pantsless, like literally just everything going right. against me. And it is, it, the emphasis is not so much on me being ashamed of myself, but other people being ashamed of me for a lack of self-control in some way mm -hmm. or, or yeah, not being prepared, uh, not being mature enough. Uh, to even put on clothes before I go into a hallway at school. Right. And feeling like this is, you are exposed and, and incomplete in that way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Everyone can see like my nakedness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so Aang jolts awake and he sees Momo who's kind of staring at him while he's sleeping. And he tells him like, oh, you know, Momo, it was just a dream. I still have my pants. Ooh, and he realizes he can't really get back to sleep after this. So he, he just gets up and says, you know what? I better just keep training. And Momo watches him concerned as Aang then walks over to a row of bushes for his training and starts just kicking at them. And it seems willy nilly, right? Like there's not really any rhyme or reason behind what he's doing for this weird training. Well, it's funny because, yeah, it, he's training, but it's like he's training for like a to be in the all valley karate tournament it's like it's just this bears no relationship to being the avatar and bending and anything like that it's like the only thing he could think of was like doing cardio and push-ups so it's like that's what i'm gonna do it's it's it's, it's actually very that's actually pretty funny yeah that he's yeah, out like, of his mind already right exactly and this whole episode is just his mental health deteriorating over and over and over which again like this series is good about being realistic in those ways, if Aang were to just jump into this invasion and feel confident about it, like we know that he's a confident person, uh, but we also know that he has these anxieties and it wouldn't feel right to, I mean, like this is, this is the end battle, right? It wouldn't be right for him to just not consider the fact that he hasn't firebended yet. And, and let's, let's also remember the uh, the previously on one of the clips that they show is uh, from I think the first episode of this season where we see Aang say I, I knew I had to face the Fire Lord but now I know I need to face him alone mm. um, and these dreams are about facing him alone and his his feelings of inadequacy about that mm, yes exactly 
So uh, we leave Aang kicking out a row of bushes uh, to prepare himself for Ozai. And then we move to the B-plot. So Thank God uh, for B-plot, right? Oh, truly. And it's been so long since we've met up with Zuko. Like, I know it hasn't really been that long, but it feels like a long time. So we're now at the Fire Nation Palace. And Zuko is ushered to a throne by two servants who drape a robe on him before he sits down. And then we have this small scene of different servants offering him different things. So he's given fresh fruit. Another offers to wash his feet. He gets a head massage, a hot towel. And all of this is like very luxurious. Even the idea of receiving a bowl of fresh fruit and being able to deny it and say no seems like such wealth and status. Like, man, especially living uh, in... In South Korea, like, fruits are kind of expensive here. So when I was watching this episode, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's rich. We're like, of course, he's a prince. But um, bananas here, apples, like, everything is quite a bit more expensive. So to be able to receive that and then say no seems extra. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, and this is starting to indicate that Zuko has all the things if we go back to season one zuko he has all the things he's he ever dreamed of right there was this sense of like if i can ever just restore my honor you know restore my place in my family and my my seat in the fire nation then i will be fulfilled and we're seeing like okay you you now you know uh you now have everything you've ever wanted right i mean yes. it's the uh, the last line of the uh willy wonka movie right never forget the story of the boy who re you know received everything he ever wanted now willy wonka yeah. says he lives happily ever after we get to see if that's true right and also it's interesting to think about all of those things they offer him and say man he wasn't without that this whole time when he was with iroh like it wasn't to the extravagant level that he gets here, but Iroh certainly gave him food and tea and would willing, I would think would willingly wash his feet or provide him with spa experiences. Like all of this stuff he already had. It's just not to the level he gets as a prince. Right. Um, as a prince welcomed back into his kingdom. So outside the palace, we see a crowd of civilians that flock to the gates like adoring fans. It's very Beatles mania. Yeah, this and is like this is like Aang at Kyoshi in season one. Absolutely, yes. And uh, many of the fans are like young, seem to be pretty wealthy women just standing and waiting for Zuko to make an appearance. And he does. He, he exits the gates to the crowd. And there is a really funny moment where we see this older, larger extremely hysterical woman who charges through the guards to try to reach him. Uh, like similar to the way that we see with people responding to Aang and like the, the foam kind of coming out of their mouths, like we've seen in previous episodes, very John O'Brien. And the servants um, rush over, prevent this woman from attacking Zuko. And then they lower a palanquin and request that he take it as it's not a prince's place to walk anywhere and at first Zuko says you know I'm just going over to May's house it's not that far uh, but he then agrees and he seems quite content with these options that he has and he almost seems happy and kind of generous to the servants right like these are things that he doesn't really want but he's he's like okay as long as you're here and like I, I appreciate your service 
And so the palanquin carries Zuko to May's place, which is literally just across the street. Like they make it through this crowd and then drop him off. Yeah, it feels like they take about 30 steps and they're there. <laughs> yes, like the crowd is still definitely not that far away. Right. I also uh, love I love that the word palanquin is spoken because we talked about this back with the Earth King. And I was like, what's that thing called? And I realized, figured out it's called the palanquin. And then that's actually what they call it here. So I feel justified in the way we're building our vocabulary with this show. Well, you know what? I did have to Google. <laughs> I was like, what is the cart? thing that people carry people in and i finally got to palanquin i think i'm saying it right too yeah they but they use the word in the episode that was the thing that made me feel great is they were like oh awesome like that's good that's the that's what i call it because i'm sure it's got other names but that's the one that i called it and that that was right i feel justified (laughs) yes so now we're back at the invasion rendezvous point and we see Aang again punching the trunk of this very large tree just repeatedly over and over. He's not wearing a shirt, so we kind of we see the scar that's still on his back. I think that's also important for this episode to realize, like, he hasn't been ready in the past, and it has almost taken his life, right? So, like, having that scar there as a memory, I think, is very important. Now, what's interesting thinking about Aang punching this tree, it is it does have this feel of... Um, even like the original Rocky movie where we see Rocky like punching um, big slabs of meat in the, in the, like the, uh, the slaughterhouse, Mm. Um, you know? So, so, so it sort of harkens back to like, well, this is what it means to train is to just throw a bunch of punches. Yes. And training is about resourcefulness and you use what you have around you when you don't have, you know, you know, and like just prepare with what you got. And so we see his face, he's grimacing, he's sweating from clearly just attacking this tree for a long time. Um, And we, the sounds of him punching the tree wake up a a really sleepy Katara and Sokka, who then look at each other and look at Aang and their faces fill with concern. And Katara says, hey, um, how long have you been up? And Aang is continuing to box. He doesn't even really look over at her. And he says, a couple hours, I just got a lot more skills to refine if I'm going to fight Ozai. And Katara takes on kind of her master Katara uh, voice. And she's like, you know what? There is this thing uh, of overtraining. And, and perhaps that's what you're doing. And as she says that, Aang collapses in exhaustion. But he says, you don't get it, do you? My form is bad. I'm sloppy. And I still don't know any firebending, not even the basics. And the whole time he's saying this, he's in a, he stands up and he gets like in a fighting stance and his eyes are twitching, uh, almost like he's about to fight Katara. And Sokka lazily lays on the grass nearby and he's, he's holding up a map in the sky, studying it. And he says, you know, it's okay, Aang. The eclipse will block all firebending anyway. Plus it's a stupid element. And Aang says, you know what, I've got other things to train too, though, right? So it's not just about firebending. And he frantically gets on his air scooter and flies away. I want to say, uh, you know, Aang saying, you know, I still don't know any firebending, not even the basics, and and I'm not ready for this. Um, I wrote in my notes for one thing that's very true. So I'm glad that they're acknowledging (laughs) that because that seems the direction they want to go. And I also wrote, is this episode about the anxiety of the writers and showrunners realizing we've got like 11 episodes left to land this plane. And um, so I wonder if they're going through the same thing. Aang is, which is like, Aang is functionally in this episode, wasting time. Mm -hmm. 
because he has so much anxiety. And when you feel anxiety, you end up, instead of getting things done, you end up doing nothing as you're feeling anxious. So you end up actually wasting more time. So it's interesting on a meta level to think about, they are wasting an episode here, but I wonder if that's what they're feeling too. Like we have to get ang firebending. We have I, I, at the, uh, at the end of this, uh, my notes, I just wrote all of the loose ends that they need to address in the next 11 episodes. And it's like, I wonder how much this episode is a microcosm for the psychology of the writer's room. Yes, I like that a lot. It is that, I mean, I guess the theme of this episode is like, hurry up and wait, right? Like, he he can't really move forward. He It's all depending on everyone else falling into place. Uh, and yet there is this like rush to get to an end point. And all of that is just going to build up his anxiety more and more. Well, and it's interesting because the thing he most needs to do is the one thing he can't do. Mm. So he needs to learn to firebend, but for those four days, they're not going to find a firebending teacher. So it's just like a hurry up and wait is per- perfect example of like, we got to the spot. I'm not ready. There's nothing I can do to get ready, but what do I do for four days? Like, it's not like he's practicing firebending. He's not capable of that. Yes. Yes. It's like when you're four days out from a marathon and you haven't really been training that much. Right. And it's like, do I really try to like kick myself into training in these last couple of days or like, is, would it be better served for me to just relax? And like, you know, because at this point it's not really going to help me to try to like throw in a 20 mile run. So he, um, so he frantically scooters away from the group and then we get, uh, uh, kind of a push ahead to nightfall. Um, so it's been one day and we see an overworked Aang who's trudging back to the camp as the gang are all sleeping. And he lays down in the grass and he starts to say goodnight to each of the gang individually. Good night, Katara. Good night, Sokka. Good night, Appa. Good night, Momo. Good night, Appa and Momo. Like he's doing combinations. And it reminded me of a child really trying to delay their bedtime, right? To be like, I don't want to go to sleep yet, or I can't go to sleep yet, so I'm just going to say everything I can. That is also a, a Gen X reference. Um, oh, really? To a, to a show that I presume you've probably never... Have you ever seen the show The Waltons? Yes, it's like at the 70s. end when like, yeah. good night, Jim Bob, good night. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like you see the outside of the house, and you're hearing that. So like that's what I thought of when I saw that. Is there is he's he's running through the list of all the good nights, kind of like on the Waltons. Yes, Sam, I've seen the Waltons. I really appreciate that. This is uh, something that we can <laughs> that we can bond over. Yeah, so it's very much the like good night, Jim Bob energy. And um, Toph then yells at him to say like, "You need to sleep. We all need to sleep. Like, stop talking." And so Aang does drift away and we get another one of those dream sequences. So Dragon Ball Aang is back again. His appearance is a little bit different, probably nodding to some type of anime or game that I am not aware of. But he runs back through the same Fire Nation doors and into that heart of the volcano again. And he approaches Giant Ozai and announces again, your days of tyranny are over. I'm here to defeat you. And he says, triumphantly, this time, I brought pants. And he looks down, and we see the the bottom half of his torso, and locked and chained into place is his pants. So they are not going anywhere. And the Fire Lord says, so it seems. But are you prepared for your mathematics test? And then a giant abacus slams to the earth behind Aang, and he starts to freak out. And he says, I didn't know I had an exam. I'm not ready. And then he jolts awake. 
and decides to go train again. So is this is this a dream you have? This is another yes. very common dream. This is the dream I have so often. And uh, it always is the same way. So it's like halfway through a semester, I realize that I've been enrolled in a math class the whole time. And it's like, you need to be there for all the math courses because it's building upon this knowledge even more so than kind of any discipline, right? And so there's this idea. And always... <laughs> it's beyond the point of where I can drop the class and still like, um, and, and, and this time it's like, if I drop, I will get an F. So it's like all of these, yeah, all of these anxieties. I've had this dream so many times, even in the last couple months. How about you? Uh, I've had versions of it, but not in the like, not the stereotypical version of it. Sure. Um, uh, it actually, mine has more to do with anxiety about like, um, for some reason I get enrolled in a high school class. Like I am myself, but I get enrolled in a high school class and it's not even that the class is over, but I start thinking about like, is this going to affect my high school GPA? Cause I was very <laughs> obsessed about my grades in high school. And it's like, that's done now. I have the grades I have. It's like, I don't want to risk any of those things by like taking a random German class or something. It's like, you know, so like that's my version of it. So um, I looked up the sort of the taking a test dream. Hmm. Or needing to take a test. Uh, and what I found is uh, that this sometimes is meant to indicate a decision needs to be made about you, but not by you. Um, so this speaks to low self-esteem or low self-confidence. That sort of you're going to be tested um, mm. and it's it's sort of out of your hands. And that's the part about not being ready for the exam is like, yeah. it's like, this is now out of your hands, this thing, you're, you're going to be evaluated and you no longer have any, there's no longer anything you can do about it, which yeah. sort of fits Aang's situation. Oh yeah. That lands for sure. I mean, thinking about even, even like imposter syndrome, I don't belong here. I'm not ready. Uh, and everything is out of my control. And yet I still need to fulfill these shoes. Like I need to fill in these shoes that I am not prepared to, to do. Yeah, for sure. So Aang jolts awake from this again, and he uh, decides to go train in the middle of the night. And he does so by pacing around a flock of sleeping koala sheep. They are literally just all cuddled together, and he's just circling them like um, a buzzard. And Katara then comes up and confronts him. And he, she's like, you need to sleep. She keeps saying that over and over in this episode. And he refuses every time. So she kind of breathes deeply and is clearly frustrated. And she asks him again, please sleep, please, for me. And Aang rubs the deep, dark bags under his eyes and nods in agreement. He'll, he'll go sleep. He'll try to sleep again. So then we go back to the B-plot. We go back to Zuko. And he is now cuddling with May on a chase lounge in her house. Uh, some some romance in this episode yeah, i was yeah. not expecting yeah there and i guess it's not exactly pda because they're in her house but be <laughs> but because it's on the show it's just like wow this is like more physical affection than i was sort of expecting yeah i'm like oh yes they are teens they are teens in love <laughs> this, this is this makes sense um her house is gorgeous clearly she lives across from the palace her dad is high status so i should have expected so um but they're they're both kind of just lounging and, and chatting on on this um on this couch and zuko says may if you could have anything you want right now what would it be and may says playfully uh, a big fancy fruit tart with rose petals on top 
And Zuko's trying to flex his prince status. And he he calls over the servants who are standing behind them, which I was like, oh, that's such an awkward job. Like, you have to accompany the prince to his girlfriend and not just accompany him there, but like stand behind them while they're cuddling on a couch. <laughs> not great. And he asks the servant to run and get a fruit tart for the lady. And it's like kind of a romantic scene. I don't know. I, I was yeah. I was like, all right, Zuko, like you got some game. Yeah, and and he's he's getting to um, enjoy his status. So that is the difference between season one Zuko and the Zuko is he has this. He does have access and status, but now he gets to enjoy it. Yes, and May is impressed by the perks of royalty, but she was like, "Well, you know, there's a lot of great things about being royal, but there's also some downsides." And she's like, "You know, like that all day war meeting that's coming up," and Zuko says all day war meeting like I don't what are you talking about and it turns out that Azula had mentioned to May that there's this war meeting uh and Zuko sits up from their lounging abruptly and he says I I didn't know that this was happening and I must not have been invited to attend and there's a clear concern on his face about you know why why was the crown prince not invited well and and I think this is one of the the interesting connection points between the B and the A plot is this kicks off Zuko like paranoia and anxiety, mm. right? So like we don't see Zuko struggling to sleep, but we see the things that would keep him restless. Yes. Yeah. I think one of the ways that could have made this episode better would be to balance out the, the B and the A plot more time wise and maybe expand a little bit, even give Zuko a nightmare or two. We've also been in Zuko dreams before too. Uh, they're definitely not quirky and funny like Aang nightmares, but like to to build that out and to say these two characters both are in a place where they feel like imposters. It's not really neither of them planned it to be this way. Aang didn't plan for the invasion to be this way. This is Sokka's plan and Sokka's dad's plan. Uh, and Zuko is uh, worried about this war meeting and where he is not a part of the conversation on how attacks will go, right? Like he is not an advisor um, and doesn't get to hear any of that. Uh, so we then go back to the camp and a sleeping Aang hears Ozai whispering in his ear, wake up sleepyhead. And Aang blinks his eyes open and he sees this like fuzzy version of Ozai and, and not the dreamlike version of him, but actually like, I think what Ozai looks like standing above him saying, rise and shine. You overslept. You missed the invasion. And he maniacally laughs and then flies off on a large flying hippo cow that then shoots fire out of its mouth at Aang. And so we now see that his dreams are merging with reality. And, uh, and this is then setting the tone for the rest of the episode, right? All these fears are now, he, he can't really tell the difference between wakefulness and asleep. Right. So here's where we get the nightmares and daydreams part right. of it. Um, so have you ever had the overslept dream? Yes, absolutely. Um, I Not that I know of. I think mm. I've had the panic over, like... It's not that I dream about oversleeping, but I wake up if I can't see a clock. I like I panic about what time uh, it is. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, and I also will say, like, I don't know that I've in any significant way overslept for something. Okay. That I can remember in my life. Yeah, I don't think I have either. I'm also somebody who, if I know a deadline's coming up, I will wake up 
every hour until <laughs> until yeah. my alarm goes off. Yeah, I also, I mean, if we're, I'll just reveal one of my superpowers is like if I have to get up at, if I like really have to get up at four thirty tomorrow, I will set my alarm for four thirty and I will wake up at four twenty five. Oh, that's or four twenty nine. Like I will wake up before the alarm if it's something I really important I have to wake up for. If it's like oh. I set my alarm, but it's like yeah, I don't really need to get up, then then I won't. But but if I have to get up, I my brain just knows. Oh, guess what? This is the time you need to wake up. That's so nice. It is. So <laughs> oversleeping in a dream um, uh, is implies that maybe you're not worthy or capable of something. Um, so like you're again, again, notice these are all the same thing, right? It's mm. you're inadequate, you're unready, you're, you're, um, incapable, you know, of, of something that you need to face. Yeah. I mean, they're all similar, but like they're pieces of a puzzle. I think they're different. They're different sides of the same kind of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And he's yes. running through all the things that could go wrong. Yes, for sure. Which is a classic anxiety disorder to be like, you are spiraling and uh, at some point you can't climb back out, right? Like it's like one fear builds upon another and another and another and they can be, it can start out that they appear very different from each other or separate. But then when you're in the middle of a, of a say anxiety attack, all of it somehow can feel very interconnected. And so uh, Aang then wakes up from this dream in a fright. And as he does, he smacks Sokka uh, and he's like, Sokka, what day is it? And Sokka jolts awake. And as he does so, Sokka rams his head into a rock nearby. And uh, Toph then wakes up too. And she's like, Aang, relax. Like, we still have two more days until the invasion. And Aang ignores her. And he tugs at a sleepy Sokka's legs and arms. And he tries to nag him in order to get him up and say, like, you need to drill your rock climbing exercises. In one of my dreams... You were running from Fire Nation soldiers trying to climb this cliff, but you were too slow and they got you. So now it's not just anxieties over what he's not prepared for, but it's anxiety over what everyone else might not be prepared for. Prepared for. And Sokka's like, Aang, it's just a dream. But, but Aang says, you know what? No, you have to prove to me that you have the ability. You have to go climb that tall cliff over there. And to Sokka's credit, he does it. He's like, fine. Like, I guess you're the avatar. You're my friend. I'll do it. So he gets up from his sleep, he grumbles, he walks over to this cliff, and as he's climbing it, he says, stupid avatar, stupid cliff, stupid dream, I can climb. And So, so dreams about being chased mm. um, are about avoiding an issue or a person. So there's something, you know, and, 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 you know, there's, there's something coming, there's something, a person or an issue you need to deal with. And the being chased is like, you're trying to escape from that um, imminent thing that like, that is coming, which mm. I mean, if you, and that could be the invasion that could be Sozin's comet. I mean, that, that, that could just be the confrontation with the fire Lord that it's like, it's coming one way or another. Yeah, or even like the fear from the start has been, what does this mean for my friends? And uh, and like that, that it's imminent. Like they will be put into a place where I can't control whether they're hurt or not. Uh, but yet here he's still like scrambling to try to control whether mm -hmm. they will be ready or not. And uh, so then Aang turns over to find Toph drinking from a pouch and he yells at her and he's like, Toph, stop drinking. What are you doing? he says, you have to stop because in this dream, they were in the middle of an invasion and she had to use the bathroom. So they had to stop so that she could do that. And he says, 
we died because of your tiny bladder. So uh, dreams about having to go to the bathroom are about sort of inner struggles with emotions. Going to the bathroom in a dream is about like purifying yourself to some degree. Again, I don't know that there's anything to that, but (laughs) I looked these things up. So this is like the one, I think the one dream trope in this episode that I haven't had. I've never had like a, I have to use the bathroom dream. Have you? The the only time I have is because I woke up and actually had to use the bathroom. (laughs) So it's just like my body was just saying, hey, by the way, you should get up and go to the bathroom. (laughs) Again, very helpful. You have very helpful dreams. I do. I do. (laughs) I like this. (laughs) So then Aang turns and verbally attacks Katara. And he's like, Katara, by the way, you need to change your hairstyle because uh, if you don't wear your hair out, hair up, um, in my dream, your hair loopies got stuck in a train and he trails off before Katara is able to interrupt. And she says, hey, Aang, you're unraveling. You need to slow down. And Aang realizes that he's starting to slowly lose his mind. So hair getting stuck in a dream. Um, oh, this is a thing? Apparently. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Again, you can Google. Uh that thoughts or ideas are preventing you from moving forward. Oh. So like your, I think your hair associated with your head and your mind that you're basically your that your head is stuck. So thoughts or ideas are keeping you from moving forward. Okay. That's actually, which is interesting to think about Katara, right? With like, last episode was planted this idea about bloodbending, right? And now mm. this is something which we have, we've yet to see it be this thing that's preventing her. But it might be. It might be preventing her from acting this idea of this power that she's now aware of. Yes. Or if we think about one of the areas that Aang feels anxious about is that he never really finished his training with Guru Patik. And one of the things that he was caught up over was his love for Katara. And like that that Mm -hmm. could be something that prevents him from opening up all of his chakras and being able to control himself in the avatar state. Right. And like we see Guru Patik appear in us in several dreams coming forward in this episode too um clearly that's something on his mind it will be interesting to see if any of these anxieties or dreams play out like do we later on see Sokka getting chased up a cliff do we see i can't imagine we're going to see top needing to go to the bathroom but do we see (laughs) katara's hair getting like like that would be really interesting yes Um, it wouldn't necessarily justify this episode but it would be really interesting Yeah, or not even, or yeah, or like, do we see them later on training in ways that are like geared towards this? Like, do we see Sokka training by running up cliffs or doing some kind of like, I don't know, vertical whatever training? Or do we see uh, Katara put her hair up when she goes into battle? Like, I wonder, Mm -hmm. that would actually make this episode, I think, a lot better if there was some continuity moving forward. We'll have to track that. So then we get to Aang, who is uh, pacing back and forth again, and he's talking about um, how his stress is building and building, and it's just making more and more stress, right? I'm stressing about one thing, and then I'm stressing about stressing, and then I'm stressing about that stressing. And Sokka's like, hey, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You have to fight the Fire Lord. You have to fight the baddest man on the planet, and you better win, or we're all done for. And Katara quickly hushes him, and she's like, cut it out, this isn't helping. And Aang begins shuddering, and the bags under his eyes have clearly grown, and his teeth are even chattering. Now, again, I want to go back to, is this episode about 
the anxiety of the writer's room because even what Sokka says there is sort of saying like, yep, you've built up this big thing. Can you, can you land it? And if you don't, it's all your fault. Yes. In, I mean, in some ways it's kind of an audience fear too. Like I really want them to do well. Yeah. Right? And I know that they don't have a lot of time left. So like, I hope that it ends well, you know, hundred percent. I have that anxiety as a viewer. Like, I don't know that they're going to be able to do this. And I, and especially realizing, wait, the eclipse is coming up and it's like, wait, so like we're about to do this and it's almost feels like, well, it can only go badly. There's no way they're mm. going to make this great. Um, mm. So it, it is like, okay, I'm starting to sell myself on at least the conception of this episode. Me too. Me too. There's yes. I'm, I'm thinking that, Parts of it could be salvaged, <laughs> for mm -hmm. sure. So Katara invites Aang to do some yoga stretching with her. She's like, I think I know the thing that you need. So she brings him to this hot spring surrounded by tall cliff walls. And she's like, it'll help you to be, you know, in this heat doing these yoga poses. And she guides Aang in poses and she says, feel your chi paths clearing. Now close your eyes. How are you feeling? And Aang says, I feel really warm and he seems all right for a second and then he says like there's this warm feeling all around me like i'm in the fire lord's palace and he's shooting a bunch of fireballs at me and he goes from zero to a hundred in a minute right like it's triggering even heat is triggering these concerns about the fire nation and guitar says okay you know what maybe your stress is one that you need to talk out very wise yeah so what's interesting here is now we we're, we're running through this like what are the therapy options, you know? So yeah. one of them is this kind of physical yoga, spiritual centering kind of thing. And then we move to um, Sokka's uh, talk therapy. Yeah, I love the different options they give too, because they're all super valid. Like, and, and all the people offering them, Sokka, Toph, and Katara, like, they are doing a good job. It's just, it's not the thing that he needs, right? Mm -hmm. Like, in, in... And, like, I'm someone who has generalized anxiety disorder. And one of the things that uh, in the past therapy has taught me is you need to – sometimes you, you get so worked up either in anger or anxiety that you need to, like, stick your head in a freezer or you need to go outside into the cold because a temperature change can really help to make you um, kind of ground yourself and realize, like, these concerns are all up in my head. Um, there's <laughs> this classic thing of, like, uh, notice the senses, right? So ask yourself, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? Where, like, describe these things in a couple words to yourself, and it helps you to get out of uh, an anxious, spiraling um, mindset, and then to realize that you know you are okay, you are physically fine, you are not going to die. Your your heart rate is it's normal, it's standard, right? So uh, these practices that they're teaching him are like pretty valid. And as a kid, I I wouldn't have noticed that maybe, but like. Eh, all right, <laughs> I guess Avatar is doing its little part in spreading some uh, some ideas of therapy, right? That's right. <laughs> so then we go down to um, uh, the next kind of option, and that is therapy. So Aang is lying down in the grass, and he has his head resting on a koala sheep, which looks really comfortable. Um, again, almost like he's in like a, a therapist office on a chase lounge as well, right? And he is meeting with his therapist, who is Sokka, wearing the same fake beard from when he was Mr. Fire in previous episodes. The beard he loves so dearly. 
and his elbows are resting on a sleeping sheep. And he begins to ask Aang about his concerns. And he says, uh, you know, what's been bothering you lately, Aang? And Aang says, you know what's bothering me. I have to fight the Fire Lord in a few days. And Sokka asks Aang why he's so afraid of the Fire Lord. And Aang says, you literally just said it yourself. He's the baddest man on the planet. And so he says, you know, I, it's on my shoulders. I have to save the world from Ozai. And Sokka says, life does feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? Like we're all trying to save the world from evil. And Sokka suggests Aang scream into this pillow, which is a sheep. And Aang does that without any improvement. Like, all right, Sokka. Like, Sokka's therapist is, like, pretty decent. I mean, funny, but decent. So then we go back to the Fire Nation, uh, to the palace, and we see Azula also being um, assisted by servants who are washing her hair, kind of in a spa-style scenario. She's laying down, uh, and they're washing it in a basin. And Zuko approaches her and asks her what this war meeting is about and why he hasn't been welcome to join it. And Azula says, of course you're welcome there. Don't be so dramatic. I'm certain dad wants you there. You probably just weren't invited because it's so obvious that you're supposed to be there. And Zuko asks if she thinks he was invited or if she was invited herself. And she says, of course, she's the princess. And he's like, well, I'm the prince. So why wasn't I invited? And Azula says he's acting paranoid and just should go to the meeting. But he refuses. He's like, I don't want to be there anyway if I haven't been invited. And what's so interesting is this is such a result of the game that Azula's been playing this whole time that like mm. now she can tell him the truth and he's so paranoid because this does feel like Azula's setting him up like that he's going to walk into a room he shouldn't be at. Yeah. Um, so so she's playing off of all his paranoia um and and what then again here's the the coupling with pan, with uh with ang right like we see zuko's fear and anxiety about his own inadequacy and mm. and so like he is a he is a paranoid person and you can't argue with a paranoid person sometimes right and the audience again these are kind of our fears too like i watching azula in this scene i was like I mean, and you know, I've seen this series before, but I don't remember a lot of the details. And I was like, is she like messing with him? I can't, I truly can't tell. Because it's it's the same delivery. Yes. It's a testament to the writers, to the voice actor. Uh, Like they do an excellent job of making us always question every single word and also hang on every word and every way she delivers it. So then we go back to the Aang gang and Toph is offering her version of therapy to Aang, which is relieving his stress by giving him an old fashioned, quote, back pounding. And what this is, is uh, Aang is lying on top of rows of vertically facing wooden logs. And so when Toph stomps on the ground, she earth bends the logs to bump up and down and massage his back. But Aang says, this is too much. And it begins bruising him because it's so severe and so painful. And so Toph stops and says, you know what? There's another option. I could give you acupuncture. And she stomps on the ground and we see a a porcupine um, that she like earth bends into the air and it, it falls over by them. And Aang runs away screaming. This is not an option he is looking forward to. So of the three friends as therapists, who would you be most inclined to visit? Probably Katara. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I like the 
I like the the yoga and the heat. I feel like that would be really therapeutic, very um, soothing, right? How about you? I'm a tough person, I think. Yeah, really? Yeah. That would probably looks- be the direction I'd most want to go. Yeah, I've never gotten a massage, like a professional massage before, but I feel like it would be a dream. Like, it would just be amazing. Well, and in her version of a massage, you don't have to have another person touch you, right? It's just this... <laughs> Like that, the, yeah, like that would, that, that sort of setup she has there. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> like I wish earthbending existed for that. So then we go back to May's palace and Zuko is stewing. Um, he's, he's doing that thing in this series where he's like standing on a balcony and staring out over the horizon at night. And May is trying to comfort him. And May in this episode is a great friend. Like she's, it's not even just about the romance part of it. She is really trying to console him. And so, you know, she tells him like, you shouldn't dwell on your fears, your paranoia here. She says, why would you even want to go to the meeting? Like, just think about how things went at the last war meeting you went to. And this seems to be an allusion to the meeting where he uh, insulted his father by, by standing up to the war advisor. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the one that, that resulted in his scar, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. So she tries to then cheer him up. Right. And she doesn't linger in the heaviness, but she playfully suggests, you know, why don't you order the servants around? That's always fun. I could, I could really use a whole tray of fruit tarts. And she's like, maybe a little palanquin ride around town double time. And Zuko barely flinches at her jokes. He's too focused on his stress. So then we go to nightfall at the rendezvous point. And Katara asks Aang if all their ideas helped his stress to decrease, if he's able to sleep successfully now. And the whole gang is kind of looking at him and they're all hoping that it worked. Uh, And Aang doesn't want to let them down. So he half-heartedly is like, yeah, you know what? I sort of kind of maybe feel like maybe I'm better now, maybe. And he's clearly just trying to satisfy the gang, who then fall asleep immediately. And Aang is able to doze off, and he dreams that he's in this blood-red sky riding on Appa, and a storm is raging. So this is a familiar setting in his dreams before, right? Like, we've seen him have similar flashbacks. And, okay, I just a side note, get ready for some really weird descriptions here, because what we have is, like, the most dream-like state. You know, like, in a dream where you are in one place and you end up in another and you can't really trace back how you got from one place to the other? This is what they're trying to show here. So it's a yeah, lot of, like, I, c- cuts. I think, yeah, I think that here's where they really embrace the dream logic. So I'm not even going to interrupt you as you go through this, and we can do it and then maybe reflect on it in any way if there's stuff to talk about. Perfect. I'll try to make this as narrative as possible. <laughs> so we see the storm raging and, and Aang is flying on Appa. And we see what looks like a planet-sized Momo standing up, slashing the air around him. Um, and it seems like he's trying to hit even Appa out of the sky. And so Appa's trying to avoid this obstacle. When finally Momo grasps Appa in his hand. And then the dream abruptly switches to a view from the ground level. And it's looking at the Fire Nation Palace. And the Fire Nation Palace doesn't look like what we know it to look like. I mean, I, I assume Aang's never seen it before. And so the, what it looks like is more like Mordor. It looks like this big, towering, terrifying um, structure going straight up into the sky with like clouds and storms kind of looming above it. And it's all blood red. 
and we get abrupt movements toward the palace. Uh, and we're we're standing looking from behind Aang. So it's Aang's back uh, as he's moving closer and closer to the palace without seeing any steps, right? He's just like sliding closer and closer. And so he's outside the palace. He's then inside the palace. And then he's to the doors of the throne room. And his body slides from these scenes to scene. And we hear Ozai speaking in a low, unintelligible, disembodied voice. But we can't, yeah, we can't see him. And then the screen goes black and just Toph appears and it's close up on her and she appears in direct, directly in front of the camera and her eyelids at first look like they're closed, but in fact they're open and she has no eyes, just skin. This was a pretty disturbing image. I, did, I could do without that. Yes. Her hair is um, in a similar stuff, Toph style, but it's even more draped in front of her face. Uh, it, it looks, it reminded me of like the ring, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely horror elements in this nightmare. So then Aang, who looks just like regular Aang, not Dragon Ball Aang at this point, he gasps and he then watches Sokka be devoured by earth around him. And then he cuts to seeing Katara standing among flames in the palace. And he tries to move to save his friends, especially Katara, but he looks down at his feet and there's ice that's growing up over his ankles and then consumes all of him. And he's surrounded in this ice. He's actually standing on an ice cliff at this point. And the fire Lord cackles and then flames surround him, melt the ice and he falls deep into a cavern and plummets into a lake. So now he's submerged underwater and he sinks to the bottom of the lake. And when he hits the bottom, he turns around so that actually the lake bottom is now the top of the water And it's a layer of thick ice. And he looks above the ice and he sees Zuko standing above him. And he sees Sozin's comet fly past in the background. And then we cut to a quick shot of giant Momo again, putting his finger to his lips in a hush. And then the comet lands on Earth and turns the entire landscape from lush and green and cliffs of moor style to volcanic and apocalyptic. And then Aang starts and he wakes up from the dream and he's screaming now. And the whole Aang gang rushed to him. So, thoughts on this dream, Sam? Um, I, I, I looked up a, cup, a couple of the things. I mean, one thing that's interesting is you see Sokka encased in or pulled into the earth, which is one of mm. the elements. You see Katara in fire, which is one of the elements. You see Aang drowning in water, which is one of the elements. Mm. So um, I don't know what to make of that, but they're definitely those those sort of things are at place. So I was looking for like an air element component, maybe with mm. Toph, but I don't really see one there. I mean, maybe it's that air is his element. Like that's he knows it, right? Like he's been trained right. in that, so it's his comfort. And all the other elements are things that maybe he feels anxious about. Yeah, he yeah. He can't conquer those to the extent he could with air. So I looked up the idea of sort of being frozen in ice, um, you know, when Aang his, sees his feet frozen. I mean, that pr- is pretty literal. You can't progress or or move mm. forward. Um, the idea of being drowned, of drowning in your dream, uh, is feeling overwhelmed by emotions. I'm mean, sort of mm. drowning in those things. Um, yeah, I, I will say this is the point where I feel like I'm on board with this episode and here's where it starts to turn where it's like, okay, it's a little 
we're going to go even weirder um, from from here. Um, yeah, it's you know it's interesting to see Zuko here and the comet, and um, you know this feels actually this feels the most like a dream because it's not linear. But it, mm-hmm. but like if what a dream is is sort of all of the things from your day, all of the things from your life that's kind of bouncing around in your head, now just sort of manifesting themselves in maybe a disordered kind of way. And then your brain is trying to apply some order to it. I mean, it's interesting Mm -hmm. that he's thinking about Zuko because he doesn't really know anything about what's going on with Zuko right now, you know, but that Zuko has now popped back up in his dream that he, you know, he is drowning beneath the ice, looking up at Zuko, potentially pleading to Zuko for help at this crucial moment when the comet is coming. So like, you know, it makes you wonder, are these is this dream prophetic and foreshadowing or is this just you know it's basically the way we think about our own dreams like does a does a dream have meaning or is a dream just your brain cycling through stuff and says he has all these anxieties about the war and about the invasion that are is this just that stuff floating around right because some of the things seem like you can really derive a lot of meaning from them and then other things like Toph without eyes or a giant Momo hushing him. Like those are just creepy. And there's, it's hard to know why they included those other than, yeah, the dream logic. So I actually really liked this dream. I think of all of the different dreams he had, I liked this one because there was no jokes in it. There was, Mm -hmm. it was purely a nightmare. And I felt like the way that they, imagined a nightmare made a lot of sense like it it is a lot of cut from thing to thing and not as much continuity and like you said everything in a day kind of just mashed into one kind of experience so yeah i I, I I really liked watching it i would say the uh the filmmaker who can do a dream better than almost anyone is someone like david lynch mm-hmm. now i will i will not say this is a, a lynchian moment although I, I do think there is something about the the toff with no eyes that does make that does make me think about david lynch a little bit so um yeah yeah, yeah it, they pulled it off in, in that it was really eerie like you were said it's uh, it's unsettling some of the parts of the dream I almost wish it was more unsettling, but then I have to remember this is a kid's show. But like, I would say if they wanted to make something, this is a spot where they could have gone a lot further with me. And I would have been, I would have been like, yeah, this is really interesting. Again, they could have, they could have just said, you know, how would David Lynch direct Aang's anxiety dream? But Mm. again, you probably don't want to do that on Nickelodeon. So (laughs) yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, Sokka uh, rushes with the gang to Aang as he's screaming and he says, you know, maybe you need another therapy session. And Aang refuses and he says, the only thing that I can do is just stay awake until the invasion. And his friends look on in grave concern. Katara has been saying this whole time, you need to sleep. And he is not. Have you ever had this experience where you keep your, 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 your sleep is so restless and your dreams are so bad that the better option is to not even try to sleep or to try to stay awake. I can't say I've ever had that experience. For sure. Yeah. I've definitely had that many times. I'm somebody who is a light sleeper and I wake up a lot in the night anyway. So there's many times where I'll wake up from a dream and just be like, okay, that was, 
a really crappy experience. I need to like come down from that. So I'll like go get a snack, kind of walk around, calm myself down a bit, maybe fall back asleep, maybe not. Okay, but but your goal is not I'm just gonna not go back to sleep. Or have you ever uh, had sure. times like that? I have before after really terrifying dreams, okay. but it, it, not often. Um, I've also had like sleep paralysis before. And when you wake up from sleep paralysis, it's like, I'm, I never want to sleep again. <laughs> so, gotcha. um, yeah, yeah. Some, I, I don't know, maybe I have weirdly terrifying dreams, Sam. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I will say like, like I just, I've, I have very unsettling, upsetting dreams, mm. but I can't say that I've ever, it's ever been to the point where my instinct is I, I don't want to go back to sleep. I don't know mm. that I've ever had that. I've I've woken up and not enjoyed being awake, and that 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 the whatever from that dream is still kind of spinning in my head. But the answer has never been just stay awake. Right, right, because it's like, well, if I fall back asleep, I either won't dream, or the dream will be different. It'll maybe even be better, right? So, like, yeah, the tendencies just go back. I feel like it is pretty rare to Mm want to just stay awake. Um, So then the next morning. We see Aang again pacing back and forth. And this time he's just muttering about the invasion. And the words he's saying don't even really make sense. He's like, the invasion's coming um, over and over. And Katara wakes up and goes to him and says, you know what? You don't really look good. You should get some sleep because staying awake really isn't good for you. And Aang moves towards the cliff at this. And he says that, you know what? Actually, staying awake has given him some time to think and realize some big things. And then he turns back towards her and he says, I see everything so clearly now. Why I'm doing this. I'm doing it to save the world, but more than that, I'm doing it for the people I love. And he he comes close to Katara, just inches from her face. And he says, I'm doing it for you, Katara. I love you. And then they kiss and both of them blush. And then she kisses him back. But then Katara pulls away and says, what are we doing? And Aang says, what our hearts have been telling us to do for a long, long time. Baby, you're my forever girl. <laughs> and that's when it turns when you're like, okay, this is not happening. <laughs> yes, like it's it's almost believable. And then no. So uh, he then holds her and dips her down for a kiss. Uh, but then he hears Katara asking, confused, Aang? And he awakens from this daydream. He's still in the, the dip position where he's like about to kiss her. His lips are animated huge for like a big sloppy kiss. And Katara's like, what's what's going on, Aang? And he's like, oh, I, uh, I was just daydreaming about living um, underwater. And she's like, oh, okay, sounds neat. Uh, how'd you feel about this scene, Sam? Um, I, I, well, actually, uh, what I'm curious about is, are you an Aang-Katara shipper? Um, yes and no. Yes, I like them together, and I want them to be happy. But also, no, I don't want it to be just about, like, a romance. Do you know what I mean? I will say I wish that that wasn't what was going to happen, but I'm resigned to the fact that 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 is what's going to happen. So, like, I'm okay with it, but I would, if I had my druthers, we wouldn't do that. So, what I'm curious about is if somebody who likes them together was a scene like this before you get to the forever girl line where it's clear, like, okay, this is a weird fantasy. Um, was this exciting to be like, Oh, maybe it's happening. Yeah, or did you know it was a, or were you like, no, this is clearly not. 
Right, like were you cheering them on and and then you were duped too? Yeah. Yeah. Cuz I wasn't. Like I I wasn't in part because I just assume whatever's happening in this episode's going to end up being a dream, but also because I just want to keep pushing off. Like I hope that that's like episode 20 stuff, you know, from yeah. this season. It's just like let's just do that all after the fact. Like I don't want that to be something that that I'm having to deal with throughout this but that's that's just my point of view on the story too no i think me too i wouldn't i don't want it to be like them lounging like may and zuko are like i don't i don't really want those scenes i don't really care for that like they also just yeah i don't know they're we've been with the characters so so long that i just don't want it to fall into a couple thing mm-hmm. you know I also uh, feel like they've become family so much mm. that that it would almost seem weird to be like, wait a minute, you guys are like in love now? Because yeah. I because I think of I think of Sokka and Katara's relationship, and it's like, well, Aang is part of that relationship too. Like they're all siblings, mm. although they're not. Mm. Yeah, like they yes, they've been through each or they've been through kind of like anything and everything that you can be through together. Um, but at least they established Aang's crush on her really early. Right. So I think like, they needed to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because otherwise you think of her, she plays so often and in this episode plays kind of a motherly role that it's like, if they don't lay the groundwork, then it would be even weirder. Yes. Agreed. It's like, Ooh. And then like when they've been so like with, um, with the Pieta and like her, like truly imagery wise being older and like wiser and and Mm -hmm. a master too like i agree it would be kind of (laughs) creepy but i i i'm not i'm not against it either and like i'm not shipping her with anyone else i'm not shipping him with anyone else we're like i know that you are really like a suki Sokka fan right yeah yeah absolutely yeah and i'm resigned i'm resigned to like this is just what's going to happen and i will say seeing that roku was married makes me feel like okay that's great yeah, that can happen. Yeah, for sure. So uh, then we are uh, we go to May, um, and we're at her house, and a servant enters the room, kind of frantically, and tells Zuko everyone's waiting for him. Said the admirals, high generals, war ministers, and the princess have all arrived. You're the only person missing. And Zuko's confused, and he was like, "Does my dad want me at this war meeting?" And he says. The Fire Lord would not have started until you arrived, sir. So he's been invited, apparently. Yeah, I was waiting for this to be either a dream or some sort of setup. Mm. Like that 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 Azula would have sent some message for like like I was waiting for like, yeah, this happened, but what's the what's the problem with this happening? Or is this is like because I'm just I just don't trust Azula. So yeah. so even when this happened, I thought well, let's not be too confident about this. Yeah, and I don't... Yes, we haven't had a lot of experiences where things go well for Zuko, so it seemed too perfect. Uh, And yet, he's been invited by his father. So then we go back to Aang, who is, like, parkouring through the forest, like, just jumping on random things. He's attacking a tree stump that has a picture of the Fire Lord stuck on it. Um, and he's lunging around his target. He's kind of missing it. And at one point he misses it and rams into Sokka. He like keeps running into Sokka in this episode. 
Um, and Sokka's busy making Appa's armor so that Appa doesn't need to go into the invasion naked. He's like, he's your bison. Like, I'm trying to get this done. Um, stop interrupting me. Which I love that continuity as well. Because he mentioned, uh, I don't remember which episode it was in, but in one of the previous episodes, he was like, I really have this dream to, like, make armor for Appa. And here he is doing it. And it looks And cool. he's pretty far along, yeah. Yeah, it's also huge. I'm like, where did you get the supplies for this? It's like gold. Uh, so then Aang continues to talk to himself about all of Ozai's abilities and defenses. Um, and he, so he chooses these new maneuvers to attack at the tree stump. So he shoots at the target from the sky, but his airbending even is missing the tree each time. So even the element that he's most comfortable in, he just can't control it with how sleepless he's been. And so he yells at the tree stump, you think you're untouchable, don't you, Mr. Fire Lord? And then he hears this whiny, high-pitched voice behind him. And this, I think, is where I lost the episode. I was like, there are parts of this episode that I could be on board with. Here's where I'm done. <laughs> yep. Yeah, here's where the, the like mental break happens. Now, I will say, before we get into that, I do think it is interesting that we see Aang for the first time be bad at airbending. Yeah. Like you said, like that's pretty interesting um, because it shows it shows how far this has gone and it makes you really worry about what's going to happen with the invasion. Yes, for sure. Like, yeah, it's I mean, yes, it's like he needs to sleep because even if what he's naturally so excellent at is no longer working, then he is not going to be the Fire Lord. So uh, behind him, he hears this voice. It is a really whiny truly a kind of a gross sounding voice and the voice says boy you are really starting to lose it kid so ing spins around to see momo and he's like momo have you heard something and momo just stares at him and then he responds with words and says no but i said something you my friend are a few plums short of a fruit pie and ing gasps and shakes his head in disbelief and Momo, we see like outside of Aang's head, Momo is just chittering as normal in response. And, and Aang, like, he breathes a sigh of relief. He, he also hears the chittering too. And Momo tilts his head in confusion as Aang explains what's going on. And then Aang starts talking to Momo in, a ling in Momo's language as the friends approach. So like the two of them are chatting with each other in like, momo monkey language and the friends i kind of like that i kind of like the 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 ang doing momo yes. because part of me is like maybe he can do this i don't <laughs> know his powers <laughs> yeah i mean like momo doesn't seem that disturbed by it he's he's like chatting back i don't know i've meowed at my cats before so just to hear them meow back at me like it's fine um maybe that says something about me but the crew is certainly very concerned over ang starting to talk to Momo in Momo language. And uh, Appa then sits down next to them and opens his mouth. And now Appa begins to talk in a very deep voice and says, you've got to take care of yourself. You can't go on like this. And Aang says he's fine. And Momo stands up next to him and agrees with him in human speech. Yeah, he's fine, right? And now we have this verbal spat that ensues between Momo and Appa. And this is where I think this episode starts to get kind of cringy for me um, just because I also don't like the voices that they chose. I, I'm sure it's the same. It's D Bradley Baker, right? I'm sure it's the same voice actor. It's just like, I didn't want to know 
how people would hear them speak in human language, right? Like but the I, thing you got to remember is this isn't what they sound like when they speak human language. This is all in Aang's head. So like, that's true. Like, like you don't, it doesn't have to ruin anything for them. Be, um, but it, but it is like, this is where it just kind of gets, if it just kind of gets even more dumb and it's about to spill into a sequence that goes on for a long time. And yeah. Yes. yes. Um, so, Appa says, I'm sick of this guy always mouthing off and telling me what to do. And Momo's like, oh, you don't like it? Well, let's go right now. And so here's where you were talking about this long fighting sequence. Um, so Aang grabs Sokka's coat collar and he's like, hey, help, you need to stop. You need to stop what's happening here. And Sokka's like, what's, what's happening? And Aang gestures over to Momo and Appa, who are now dressed in like traditional fighting outfits. So Appa is a, is kind of like a samurai style and Momo is more of like a martial artist. I'm sure these are calls to some kind of anime like we've seen throughout. Yeah, this I would say, episode. I would say, I would say Appa is dressed like a samurai in armor and Momo yes. is dressed as like a samurai swordsman, like um, in his civilian garb, right? He just has right. like the robe on, but he has the samurai swords. Right. It also reminded me. So there's this point where um, Appa charges Momo and he has like, four swords that he's wielding with all of his different arms it reminded me of general grievous from star wars oh yeah a little bit do you like this reference i'm really proud I love of myself. it yeah right i, I love that um, a lot i don't know if like i mean we know that <laughs> the folks who make this series are really into star wars so i'm curious if they were if there was like a little bit of thought that went into like how do you make somebody with all these legs like should they wield many swords and if any of the scenes mirror scenes with General Grievous, but maybe I'm stretching here. Um, so they, uh, the, the two animals square off and they begin to charge at each other with swords and shriek at one another. And then we have koala sheep on either side cheering on each of the animals. Um, and this is really just a long, uh, cringy fighting scene and Aang frantically tries to calm them down. And then we see Guru Patik who like floats by on a cloud and he's strumming um, a lute and singing a song. And the song goes chakras, chakras, everybody loves chakras, 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 chakra sandwich is good, yum. Cringy. And then uh, the fight continues in the background and there's like a trail of rocks that start moving around on the ground and like surrounding Aang. And the Fire Lord stump begins to dance. So all of Aang's reality is just dwindling. And these things, he's seeing dream and reality merge. And here's where, if we think about the, the, the last actual dream we saw, and we said like, well, that actually fits some dream logic things. And it's kind of interesting to think about. I don't know. I've, I guess I've never had a real kind of... Uh, mental break hallucinatory mental break before thank goodness um so like i don't know is this rooted in any kind of actual experience that people sure. have where the dream one felt like yeah i could imagine that this just sort of felt like way out there now again yes. listeners if you're somebody who has had a major you know hallucinatory psychotic break and like want to talk about it with us i'd love to hear like is this rooted in reality? But I don't know. Like this seems yeah. in, in like the, the animation style shifts a little bit with the, the way that the sheep look in terms of their eyes and their, you know, like mm. I, I just don't, I just don't know. Um, as a non hallucinator myself, I don't know. 
yeah, this is definitely outside of experience that I've had, but, uh, and it, part of it feels like, yeah, maybe like a mental breakdown with hallucinations, but also it feels really trippy too. Like almost like he's had a bad trip mm-hmm. and like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm curious. I've, but I don't I even no know idea. that this feels like when I've heard people describe that this doesn't feel like that either. Mm. So I'm kind of just, I would be, yeah, I'd be fascinated. I don't, this, this, this just feels like kind of cartoony nonsense. A right. Little bit. <laughs> right. So then uh, we go back to Zuko and the meeting has finished and May finds him in a hallway of the palace and she asks him how it went. And Zuko said it went really well, actually. And he said, my father saved me a seat right next to him, literally at his right hand. And everyone welcomed him. And so May congratulates him. That sounds great. I'm really, I'm really happy for you. And the pair stop in front of this huge ornate portrait or painting of the Fire Lord. And Zuko looks up at it and he says, at the meeting, I was the perfect prince, the son my father wanted, but I wasn't me. And so again, Zuko has kind of everything that he has dreamed of, literally sitting at the right hand of his father during these meetings, and none of it is fulfilling him. I wrote in my notes here that uh, this is maybe an overstatement, but I don't know. I said maybe it's worth it just for this. Mm. For that yeah. moment, maybe this episode holds up for that alone because that that revelation is really interesting, and that's an interesting revelation thinking about where do we go from here with Zuko um, that he has now come to this realization that all the things he thought he wanted are actually unfulfilling. I'm also interested in, because we don't get to see any of this day long war meeting. Mm. What are they meeting about? Are they preparing for the comet? Are they preparing Uh, for, are they aware of the invasion? I don't remember if that's ever been tipped off to them. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember either. Um, So I, yeah, it also, thinking about the last meeting he was in where he stood up to the war advisor, uh, it was over basically issues of human rights, right? Like treating soldiers like they, we can just dispose of them and like they don't have much worth, right? And like, um, I'm curious what what was said in the meeting and if he was the perfect prince, you assume that he went along with whatever they said, right? And, like, maybe that didn't sit well with him. Like, maybe even though he was shunned, even though he has a scar that is a result of the first meeting, he still was true to himself. And so maybe he feels even more like, like, it might be building on the feeling he had of, like, denying his uncle, right? And, like, the shame over that too. I don't know. I'm really curious if they tell us anything about the meeting, if we maybe get to see it like in the next episode or like some kind of flashback or something. Right. And and now that I think about it, they do know about the invasion because oh. it gets revealed to, to Azula by the earth King when he thinks that they're the KFC warriors. Uh, so, so presumably this meeting is on the eve of the invasion and they're like laying out their plans for how they're going to deal with the eclipse. Okay, yep, 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 they're readying for that. Yeah, okay, I forgot about that. So it's actually, it's really, right, it's really interesting. Um, And the fact that we don't get to see, we get this build up to it, but we don't get to see a a single frame of it is is pretty interesting um, as well. So, 
Yeah. And maybe and maybe Zuko doesn't like their plan of action. Like maybe something that they're gonna do doesn't sit with him or I'm super curious. Yeah, yeah. What a yeah, what about it didn't feel like him is the thing right. that I'm really interested in. Right. And he's not gonna tell us right now. But 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 I think that's really telling. And I think it then it has the uh, potential to shift his trajectory for these last 10 episodes mm-hmm. or not. It may be that, that we don't see that. Yeah. Either way, it seems like it's building towards a choice or a turning point And like maybe a crossroad of destiny. Right. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so that's all we get with the Zuko plot, but I'm really satisfied with how they tied that all up. Uh, then we go back to Aang who's walking alone at night and he sees this billowing white cloud that's covering the ground around him. I mean, which seems like it could be dreamlike, but also like you, you and I've been to the cliffs of more like those cliffs are high up. Right. And like, it's not that far fetched to think like clouds could be collecting up there Mm -hmm. too, especially at night. Foggy cloud. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, there's this one clearing that's opening in this cloud along the ground. And it's this fluffy bed like surface that's just sitting there and Aang approaches it, um, these fluffy pillows and he pokes at them. And he shrugs and he's like, great, now I'm I'm just hallucinating a bed of clouds. But Toph and Sokka and Katara stand beside it and they say, no, no, it's real. Like, we, we spent hours making it for you. And Sokka points to the herd of sheep that are now shorn nearby. Um, so they had created this big woolen fluffy pillow. And Aang's like, you guys keep telling me I need sleep, but the invasion is tomorrow. I, I don't need sleep. What I need is practice. Quick, hit me. So he turns to Katara and he's like, hit me. And she refuses. And instead she comforts him. And she says, you've been training for this since the day we've met. I've seen your progress. You're smart, brave, and strong enough. And the gang all agree wholeheartedly. So Aang finally yawns and Katara ushers him to the bed of wool and he's able to fall asleep. And in his dream, we have the last dream. Um, Fire Nation looking Aang. Like he actually has the hair like a Fire Nation person, like long and sleek. Um, he almost looks like Ozai. Mm-hmm. But uh, this Fire Nation Aang charges through the same double doors into the volcanic room. And the Fire Lord says, you're not wearing pants. And Aang smiles at him and he says, no, Fire Lord Ozai, you're not wearing pants. And the Fire Lord gasps and he says, my royal parts are showing. And he screams, and Aang is finally able to rest peacefully. And that's where we end. So he overcomes the uh, the end boss in that sort of video game logic of, of, of that kind of reoccurring, uh, reoccurring yeah. dream. And he's able to do it with his friend's help, not by anything that he does, right? Like, they, they help him through the stress. They make him a pillow. <laughs> it's like a weird fix at the end of the It does episode. look comfortable. It, it did, yeah, for sure. It looks like a big fluffy cloud, but yeah. um, he he overcomes it not by his amount of training, but by his friends being there for him, which right. I think is important too. So I will say one of the key lines in that last uh, that last scene you talked about is Aang saying the invasion is tomorrow. So it's like, yes. okay, we have made it all the way. They're not going to stretch out these four days. They're done. We're there. So mm-hmm. we talked about, you know, I think we we did... We've actually talked quite a bit about this episode um, and I think made a case for some things that are good and interesting about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I still feel like it's the worst of the episodes, um, uh, at least in terms of kind of watchability. How would you fix this episode? 
Give me your pitch. Okay, Sam, I have like five different pitches and they are all pretty different and kind of out there. So uh, one is to add in Iroh because we haven't seen Iroh at all. So build out the B plot, right? Like I think that they could have done that. They could have made it at least equal amount of time with Mei and Zuko as with Aang being anxious too. Um, I think they could have added dream sequences to Zuko and then shifted the tone to be a little bit more serious <laughs> than goofy. Like, I know they want to have some fun and playfulness before they get into the rest of the season, but still having a little bit more of a serious tone would be helpful. Um, I thought it would be fun to have a mirroring episode of Iroh being anxious in prison because we have been building up for what we presume is going to be a prison break scenario. And we don't really know how Iroh feels about that or when that's going to happen. So I thought it would be fun to have Iroh kind of like sleeping and dreaming or, or having these daydreams or nightmares about this planned perhaps prison break. Uh, I also thought perhaps if they did a serious tone, having Aang, having his dreams, his nightmares reveal more about what's actually happened to him in his past. I think that could be really fun. Um, we don't really know what life was like for him as a child in the air nomad with the air nomads. So instead like having flashbacks, I think would have been more interesting. Like I would have loved an episode that was mostly just him as I mean, he's a child, but you know what I mean, like as as a child a hundred years ago. Um, I also thought, <clears throat> here's where things go weird, Sam. So, 90s sitcom trope of the like, what if they were together kind of thing. So, do you remember on, did you ever watch Friends? I've seen some Friends, yeah. There's this episode where um, it's like an alternate reality. So, like, what happens if... Rachel and Ross weren't together, but Rachel and Chandler were together. And Ross was with whatever. I can't think of all their names. Phoebe. Right. So it's like all these different pairings that you wouldn't have assumed. So what Aang's dreams could be, it would be like an alternate kind of pairing of different individuals. Like what if Zuko and Katara really hit it off? Or like, you know what I mean? So building up these scenarios that will never likely happen but like interesting to at least have a glimpse of it especially for people who like i know there are zuko katara shippers out there i feel like they would enjoy that um have the dreams be narrated by the uh the tunnel nomads who are the singers Mm. and so instead you make it songs because that would still have the goofy silly kind of john o'brien-esque humor but instead, it'd be delivered in song form, and I think it would have pulled off a lot better, in my opinion. I think it could be fun. Also, I, I think the idea characters. of a musical episode is fascinating. Yeah, right? Like, a lot of sitcoms also have done that, weirdly. So, I think that would be fun. And then finally, totally different, out of the nowhere, but it came to me, is instead of Appa and Momo talking in this episode, have it be a silent film. <laughs> And Appa and Momo, it's like them waiting for the invasion, which I think would be really fun. And they've already like, we know that this crew will get experimental. Like even this episode is kind of experimental. Mm -hmm. 
Um, they've already had episodes where there's very little dialogue where they've built out the, the characters of the animals. So I think it could be fun to be like, oh, you know, we've been talking about training and preparing on the human side, but what about like making a silent film with the animals? I don't know. Could be kind of fun. Anyway, I, those are all kind of across the board. I like a lot of your thoughts. So, so the first one that came to mind for me is we keep the, the Zuko B plot. We can build mm. that out a little more. I thought, uh, one thought would be you show up at, you start with the same thing where they show up at the invasion point to set the timeline. And we know that they're just going to be waiting there. So instead of spending time with them, maybe we go, we do, you know, 50% Zuko may, and just basically do that same storyline. And then we cut to Hakoda and Bado. Because yes. they're coming to where our gang is. Mm-hmm. So we catch up with them, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I don't know where they're headed, so I don't know what that would mean. To me, the other answer is... If you want to keep, you can keep the title uh, Daydreams and Nightmares Mm. um, or Nightmares and Daydreams if you want, or you could shift it and you just do basically Tales of Bossing Say again. Yeah. And you say like, so you could keep this Zuko story and just make it an, you know, an enclosed thing. You can even keep the Aang story as a story of anxiety. We can do an Iroh story. We can do a Bado Hakoda story. Mm -hmm. We can do a anybody else that we need to visit story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we could do, we could do, I would be interesting to do. Cause then you can do these little short stories. Like I would love to know. Um, uh, what if you did an Anji story, somebody who encountered Aang early on in this oh. season, but it's like, well, what is she up to right now yeah. as these, like to sort of go back and, and, and reconnect with some of these folks um, just in these little short stories, because what we want is we, we are, we have this major world historic event about to happen. Mm-hmm. So where is everybody on the eve of that event? That would be an interesting thing. I like that too. So this reminds me of when um, I haven't seen it. So This was a conversation, though, that you and I had about Game of Thrones, where there was an episode, I think it was right before a battle, and you kind of had, like, everybody at a campfire together. Oh, the long night, yeah. Oh, Annie, that's a great idea. Right, that would be fun. So maybe what you do is um, you have Hakoda and Bato come at the beginning of the episode. They all meet there. And then it is is the long... I think it's called the long night. I think that's what that episode's called. Um, And and it's, it's all what do you do when the world's going to end tomorrow? Yeah. You know, when there's, there's a, a distinct possibility that this is it. Yeah. Um, and because then you can have the Aang wrestling with, what do you say to Katara? If this might be the last time you see her, yeah. um, you have other people who are um, people who've never been in the room together before. Right. And, one of the storylines you could have is if you want to have your Iro prison break, it could be happening during the night before the battle. Yeah. I love actually. Okay. I, you've sold me on that. I think that is um, again, it's a kid show. So, but, but there is something about what do you do when you're sitting around the um, sitting around the fire? And there is this sense of like, you know, 
in a different way, how hard is it to sleep when you know this big event is coming? I mean, like, it's what I imagine. Like, what did the soldiers do the night before D-Day? What right. were they doing? I'm what sure there was a about? yeah yeah. I'm sure there was a lot of sleepless nights. I'm sure there was a lot of like, well, even if we win, a lot of us aren't gonna are never going home after this. You know, like right. I actually really again that might be too dark and and existential for what they want to do. Maybe they need something lighter, but that would be a great episode, and it would it would allow us to sort of reset and then prepare mm-hmm. for pr- prepare for this thing. I, I that's really really interesting. I think it would have. Yeah, we've already had these characters. We've been with these characters for hours and hours. We already know a lot about them. But I think it would, if you have them all together, I just think that it would deepen our understanding of the characters even more. And, or or like in Jaws, like the best part about Jaws is like when they're in the bottom of the ship and they're like on the way out, right? Like when they're just sitting and chatting and And telling old stories. Yeah. Yes. And it feels like you're eavesdropping because you are on like people bonding over things and they're people that not necessarily would have bonded in that way. Um, I think that could be really fun. We've already had a campfire scene with the fire nation kids and Mm -hmm. we loved that episode. So why not have one with like the other side too? Right. Oh, I think we just, I think we just fixed this episode at least for us. Um, We don't know all the things happening behind the scenes um, as to why this episode is, uh, is the way it is. And quite frankly, we don't know what's going to happen next. So um, that's what I, I, maybe we should close. I mean, I have other thoughts to think about, but like this is setting the stage for the day of black sun for the invasion. Now it's interesting that the invasion is happening in episodes 10 and 11, Mm. um, not at the end of this season, which, logically would lead me to believe the day of black sun invasion is not successful. (laughs) Now what kind of not successful is interesting. So I'm going to throw out some scenarios. Uh, My daughter and I talked about this uh, a couple nights ago on the phone about, you know, what do we think is, what do we think the potential things are? So it could be that it is just an out and out failure. We could see the death of certain characters, which would be, Mm. you know, this feels like we're talking about game of Thrones. Now it's like, okay, who's on the (laughs) table for who could die. Right. Like we could see the death of Bato or Coda or, you know, like like we could create some stakes that way. Who's going to be in this battle? Like, what allies show up for this battle? Are we going to see some of the freedom fighters, some of the other folks we've mm. maybe met along the way? Haru, Haru's father, any of those things? Teo, Teo's father. Who knows, right? We don't know what Bato and um, Hakoda have been doing, sort of collecting people over this right. time. Um, so one scenario is it's just a total failure. Another scenario is it's a success to a degree. Mm. Something that I think would be fascinating is what if they defeat Fire Lord Ozai in the day of Black Sun? Mm. And then now Zuko is on the throne. Mm. And maybe May is Lady Macbething Zuko on the throne. What if even May really Lady Macbeth Zuko and they t- take out their father and take the throne? Yeah. Right? Um, and then we need to wrestle with they've beat Ozai, but they haven't beaten the Fire Nation. And then it's either Azula's just out and out in charge and and Zuko is, you know, leaves because this isn't him or he's on the throne and she is sort of puppet mastering him or working to usurp him in some way that way. I would love that storyline. Again, I don't know how far they're willing to go with this because 
patricide seems like uh like well well patricide mixed with regicide seems like a little rough for a nickelodeon show but like if i was in if i was able to pitch to the writer's room i would say is there a way we can pull this off because uh you know a, a Macbeth in the back half of this ep- of this season would be pretty great seriously um, so so those are the things that that i'm sort of thinking about i i can't imagine it is a wild success <laughs> um, because then what are the last 10 episodes going to be? But, um, right. uh, yeah. So, so, um, I don't know what Zuko's realization means for his arc. And then I just, I, I had mentioned earlier that I have a list of loose ends that I'm curious mm. to see as we move into the, the back half of this season. So here are things that I wrote white Lotus. We got to see that has to mean something because they've seeded it too many times. Iroh's still in jail. I presume he's got to get out. I feel like bloodbending needs to come back at some point, probably much later, but needs to come out. The meaning of Sozin's comet, like that event actually happening, that's actually appears in this episode. Hakoda, Bato, the other allies that they're collecting. I presume we see Suki again, although if you told me Suki was dead, that would be conceivable because of what we, the last thing we saw of her. Mm-hmm. Um, Aang needs to become a firebender. Like we need to see that because if, if he never does that, then he's not really the avatar. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to see Sokka as a sword master. Like mm-hmm. we've seen his training, but like, when do we see that bear some kind of fruit? Um, we need to see Boomy at some point because it would be super weird if he doesn't have a role to play. <laughs> Right? Um, right, and then and then I feel like we need to see Azula's power play. There is going to be a point in this season where Azula is either on the throne or grasping the throne. Yes. Um, and and then and I feel like we also need to learn some backstory. We need to if we don't learn what happens to Zuko's mother and how mm-hmm. how uh, Ozai ended up on the throne, that would seem very strange. Now I don't know that we're going to get all of our questions answered, but if we don't see any more about that. That would seem narratively pretty strange. It would seem like they left, they really left something on the table there. So those are all the things as I'm thinking about the the back half of this season that I think need to be addressed. What I don't know is in this two part episode to come, how much of this is going to be battle, or how quickly is the battle going to go? Because a two part episode ends up being what like forty six, forty seven minutes, correct? The eclipse is only eight minutes long. Oh yeah. So sure. so like even if they do the eclipse in real time and we see every second of it, that still is thirty nine minutes in that episode. So I, well, I'm curious how much screen time the eclipse has. Will the eclipse actually take up thirty minutes of screen time, even though it's only eight minutes long? How yeah. you know will they do it twenty four style where we get eight minutes because it is eight minutes? Like I I'm, I don't know. And maybe we'll even get our campfire moment or like night before, or I guess not night before, but you know, some, some kind of like, we're all together processing what we're about to do. Right. We're about to go. Right. And what the the other narrative thing that I'm interested in is, so let's say it is eight minutes. Does that eight minutes happen in the first part of the two part episode? Mm. Does it happen bridging between the two does it happen at the end i mean how much of this episode is going to be about the result and how much is it about the build-up and how much is it about the invasion these are all really interesting storytelling questions that i what's cool is they're going to be resolved because they're yeah that's what these next few episodes are i can't wait to watch them 
All right. Any last thoughts before we wrap up here? No, I'm just truly so excited for this next two-parter and for the, the back half of this season is so good, Sam. You're going to love it. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited. You had warned me early on that even season three has a couple clunkers. I think we just talked for nearly two hours about one of them. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm so excited for where we go here, Annie. That is all the time that we have. Thanks so much for all the work that you have put into uh, this whole series, but you've put into this uh, this episode in particular. Um, I actually love the ideas about how to fix this. I feel like we landed on one that um, I think we can both uh, sign off on. And we will be back next week to talk about Book 3, Fire, Chapter 10. Day of Black Sun, Part 1. <laughs>